0: We work this with this idea of, of uh, birds as indicators of rangeland health. So, because birds can fly, they can actually pick the places <laughs> where, where they want to live, right? So, if you're if you have a healthy rangeland, if you if, a rangeland, if you have a healthy ranch, you're gonna see birds. And in fact, ranchers love to see birds.
1: Hey guys, it's Marshall, and this is All Land Is Beautiful. On this episode, we discuss bird-friendly beef product behind the Audubon Society's call to action to meet the unparalleled decline of our nation's grassland birds over the past half century, up to 80% for some species. You see, grasslands, both in California and across our country, much of which are privately owned, is where the vast majority of our grassland birds breed. That makes sense. And grasslands are one of the primary components of our rangelands which is a more encompassing term for land characterized by grass, flower and shrub communities, savannas and woodlands and wetlands. These rangelands are often working lands as well, meaning that for at least the last 100 years or so, there's likely been some type of domestic grazing or agriculture, which very may well be ongoing today. According to Audubon, California, our state has 61 million acres of rangelands that provide food production, carbon sequestration, water infiltration, and habitat for a wide range of species. However, this historic California land use is under threat with an average of 20,000 acres a year being lost to development or crop conversion. Meaning that in order to protect the birds and ecosystem services of our rangelands, Audubon Society, and really anyone working in conservation has to work with the ranchers and farmers that own or lease and work these lands and while there certainly may be some different belief systems or opinions the land which is why i started this podcast is the common denominator and it's there that we find we have a lot more in common than we thought i'm excited to have had the opportunity to talk with palayo alvarez Director of California Audubon's Conservation Ranching Program and longtime working lands advocate in the Central Valley region. We continue this conversation around conservation on an altered landscape, but for this episode, through the lenses of carbon and bird habitat. We talk about the logistics, management plans, and support systems that go into making this more conscientious management of land a reality and Audubon's market-based approach through its bird-friendly land certification program. Hope you enjoy, and please check out the show notes for links to more information about the program, as well as where you can find your first piece of bird-friendly beef. You know, over the last several years, I've gotten to you know meet a lot of really interesting people who are working in the field, and I think have really great stories and are doing really interesting things. Um, That's flattering. And um, so it's the the goal here is to just start telling folks stories to connect and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we gather, you know, get people behind this and get interested in in what's going on in there. I I think the big one is getting what's get excited about what's happening on their landscapes where where they live, because I think particularly here. This is looking at my world through not through the lens of just a, a just a person not working in conservation. Um, th- it doesn't look like there's a lot going on around us, yeah. right? And so I think so to kind of segue that into the conversation is it's that very point. It's sort of this uh, this sense of these like overlooked natural and working lands that that dominate our. Our landscape here in the Central Valley, in the Sacramento Valley, and where these it, we're at this really critical moment, I, I think where you know again we sort of have these these uninteresting lands to to the um, to the uneducated eye through here that are now na- that are now you know we have we have increasing development pressures where and and with that it's like how do how does that sort of How does that commingle with our with our remaining natural lands as well as our agricultural lands? Because as we know, I mean, the Central Valley is right. We're one of the most productively, you know, agriculturally productive areas in the world, Mm -hmm. and we feed the world. So, kind of being a boots on the ground guy over the last number of years, uh, I think again coming back to uh, there's there's all this stuff going on, all right. Again, that people don't know about, and I think what the reason I wanted to reach out to you in particular. Was because I mean, first and foremost, now you're working for Audubon Conservation Ranching, but you also had some really unique uh, experience and time working in, in carbon, as well. And I think both of those fall in line with this sense of the, these things going on that no one no one really knows about unless you're in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think before, so those are the kind of the, right, that's the lens I want to look through. I want to look through both of these lenses in this conversation. But I think the first question I kind of want to ask you in, in, in establishing context is, you know, before diving into ranching and, and carbon, is what's what's your perspective on what conservation looks like in our region, in our Calif- in California today?
0: The Central Valley, California is a, is a fascinating place. Uh, but but I'm fasc- particularly fascinated by the Central Valley, because you have this tension between very strong environmental community, uh, very strong development pressures, and, and a very strong uh, agricultural sector, mm-hmm. and they're always interacting and interplaying. And so when when we when I think of conservation, is not only conservation. You cannot only do conservation. Mm-hmm. You have to do conservation with housing needs in mind, with <coughs> environmental justice in mind, with what a quality in mind, <clears throat> and that's what makes it fascinating. Because it's not just pro. We're going to restore these landscapes in, mm-hmm. in perpetuity. To, to pick a, a topic is, you need to think about the needs of the other communities that are here and the other interests that are that are here in the in the valley. Because you cannot, you, you're going to bump into them. You cannot mm-hmm. ignore them. So if I have to say it's, I describe it as messy, and rewarding mm. at the same I like time.
1: That. I like that. I think that's a good a good characterization. Yeah, and I think the uh, and I mean, as you just mentioned, I think it's perfect. I mean, nothing here hap- nothing happens in a vacuum, right? And exactly. and I, and I think and I think just to sort of echo your point, I, the Central Valley is is not unique in that sense that we have all of these competing interests, but I think it does serve as really a great model um, and an example of. Of these competing interests that are happening here and, and elsewhere, throughout the world, right? Um, so, now again, so before we kind of dive into the ranching and carbon stuff, I do wanna I want to talk a little bit about you, right? So, um, before we get too deep into it, uh,
0: where did you grow up, and what were
1: you doing as a
0: kid? Oh, so I grew up in Asturias. It's a region in uh, in northern Spain. It's a, it's very it's different than the, the Mediterranean uh, uh, landscapes that people think of when they think of Spain. Uh, the northern coast of Spain is called the Green Coast, Costa Verde. Uh, it's very there're really high mountains, really mm-hmm. close to the ocean, and that determines like a kind of like a regional uh, microclimate, if you will. Mm. So it's very green, it's very rainy, it's cold. Uh, it looks kind of like uh, the Oregon coast hmm. or, or the northern counties in California. Sure. So even the the culture is Celtic. Oh and, wow. And a lot of people don't don't understand that. Our our um, instruments like the bagpipe or the or the fiddle or the flute. That's what, what folk music. Uh, oh, wow. Sounds like. And the food we make beer, we make cider, uh, make heavy heavy stews. Hmm. Uh, so it, it is a different culture than when most people. When they visit Spain, they go to the Mediterranean part, sure. and they see landscapes that you see like in Southern California, and it's warm and mm-hmm. and nice. And so it is it is it is different, and people people are surprised when they go visit.
1: Very cool, very cool. And so I'm curious. Then, um, obviously, the the I'm speaking to today is uh, you know been working in the, the what's called the environmental field for a while. But I'm just curious. It's always it's always fun to to ask. You know, as a kid growing up, was was there a sign that this was where you would end up? You know, where you right? Were you playing around? You know, pulling frogs out of the, out of ditches and and stuff like that.
0: I I, I did grow up hiking. We did a, we did a lot of hiking. I have four sisters, and and at that time people have have big families, so mm-hmm. we we had a group of four or five families, and on the weekends that's what we did. And we have the where I grew up, you had those um, options really available to you because the, the mountains are really close. So we would spend. Uh, almost every single weekend, and and unless it rained a lot Mm -hmm. we would go hiking with with our parents and with the other families and hiking different places and so I didn't know I had this kind of conservation um, desire or wish in mind until later on I actually went to school uh, I went to vet school in in Spain because I thought Mm -hmm. I was interested in in working with with animals and, and later on I started kind of shifting and, and moving away and then when i now that I, I work for for a conservation organization i look back at my childhood and i said yes this this makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. and and i think most of us can can track that most of us working in conservation right mm-hmm. we can track that the, the reason why we're in conservation to our childhood experiences i think i'm always curious about the people's journey to, sure. to conservation right and i I think a lot of it has to do with with our experiences as as, as kids.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. It's, it's just I'll, I'll throw in my little tidbit is that I thought I was going to be a physical therapist, coming at right yeah. uh, coming into you know into college and, and shortly after, and then yeah, it's funny you know, that you kind of come to this point where like this isn't working out for me very well, and yeah, I would imagine most of us. And I, I grew up going going hiking down in San Diego and. Um, That just was always there, and then, um, yeah, I think when you're looking for something to fall back on, uh, it's hard to ignore that that was when you were happy
0: as a child, and you're like, why wouldn't I just continue doing that (laughs) as an adult? (laughs) Exactly, and interestingly for me, when my mind started to shift is when I, because I was in, in, I mean, I got a degree in in veterinary medicine, then another degree in animal science, and then I started to look into, The way we uh, we produce food and into our agricultural sector, and also looking at the environmental or or being aware of the environmental impact Mm
1: -hmm. of the
0: way we produce food, Mm -hmm. and then I started started thinking, wait a minute, there there, this has a a really um, or or detrimental environmental impact, and Mm -hmm. there has to be another way. So looking back at my childhood, growing up in this, I mean, these are. These are pastoral landscapes in in northern Spain, where yeah. a lot of the land is is public, and people just pull their herds and they go grazing around. Uh, mostly, uh, they own uh, or they used to own small dairies, mm-hmm. so very very small landholders. But but depending on on public land. But again, it's a, it's a pastoral landscape where conservation and food production are are totally integrated. You cannot mm-hmm. you cannot pull them apart. Mm-hmm. And that was really different than when I when I. Came to the to the United States, uh, when I saw that kind of dichotomy between, oh, you're you're from, you're from you're doing animal science, you're your food production, you don't have anything to do with conservation. Mm-hmm. That was very confusing for me, mm-hmm. because I grew up again knowing that the people who are tending to the land, who are producing mm-hmm. our food, are the same ones who are taking care of our, our natural resources.
1: Sure. Well, wow, yeah, and I can only imagine, yeah. I've- come to America and it's this. yeah you, you're dealing with these massive international and industrialized systems that are going on matched up against state and federal and then local conservation initi- initiatives and that's just I really appreciate that because that, that's so exciting because it does feel like um, feels like a very timely conversation to be had and it's really glad to have been able to connect with you on this. So I'm curious then, so there was a focus on the animal sciences, and forgive me if I'm going to, I'm sure there's some steps I'm missing in there as far as on the the timeline of Palayo's life, but you eventually find yourself at the Carbon Cycle
0: Institute.
1: I'm curious, how did you get there and and what were you doing there?
0: So uh, so I was working for the California Rangeland Conservation Coalition, Mm. um, and I started learning about the Marine Carbon Project. Mm-hmm. You know this, this partnership looking at, at uh, applying compost to, to rangelands and looking at, at what what that does to the to the carbon cycle, and and it was really really uh, interesting to me. So I started following that that project. And I knew some of the of the uh, people who were who were involved, and at that time. The I would say the Rangeland community looked at that project kind of kind of with kind of hesitation. Yeah. Sure. I well, <laughs> um, wh- what uh,
1: what time period would this have been? Just to kind of put a put some context to it. Two
0: thousand eight, around 2008. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the again the, the the results were were coming out, and 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 you know some people were excited. A lot of most people were were skeptical. Mm-hmm. But I was I was really really interested uh, in in. I was interested in the innovation. That was something that, sure. um, you know, the 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 Rangeland field is 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 somewhat somewhat conservative, mm-hmm. and and I was like, oh wow, here's here's an innovation. Let's let's just follow. Let's see what what comes out of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And for me, what came out of it is is an understanding of of the carbon cycle. It's mm-hmm. not. It, it was it was not only about compost. It's what what that project told us about the role of carbon in this in these rangeland systems, which there, our understanding of them has, has been elusive. Mm-hmm. And, and and the same for me. Uh, but they say when, once you tie your conservation mind to the to the carbon cycle, then a lot of things start making sense and a lot of things starting falling into place. One of the questions I had working with the California Rangeland Conservation Coalition was about sustainability. Mm-hmm. from the perspective of the rancher what does it mean for a rancher to be sustainable
1: mm-hmm. is it
0: is it the finances is it the money do do we do we need to get paid more
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i i couldn't i couldn't pinpoint where where does that idea of sustainability but when you think of carbon mm-hmm. which is the way that energy flows through a ranch or through a farm mm-hmm. or through our natural systems then you have a really solid process to anchor your your, your thoughts and, and your ideas about okay if if I'm if my ranch is leaking carbon, if I'm if I'm leaking losing energy, mm-hmm. there is no way that ranch can be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the finances start falling apart, because the, the in, soil in health in falls apart. The whole the whole system falls apart. And that to me was was very transforming. I mm. I should probably thank um, my friend and, and colleague Dr. Jeff Creek for mm-hmm. for moving for bringing that, that kind of paradigm just yeah. bringing, bringing us back to what how, what makes the, the world work sure right
1: yeah and i think and that's uh, the the that's that's part of that's one of the dimensions of that the, this challenge that i you know that i think i that i keep coming back to and, and again the the basis of this of this podcast is to it's address what you just talked about it, we it's a hard thing to see Right. Exactly. And so what a difficult thing to get to resonate with folks and to get buy in into. But I mean, but ultimately what you're what you're getting at and which is it's interesting. I was really curious about the timeline because, you know, that so 2008 and now here we are in 2023 and seeing how much energy has gotten behind this whole holistic management dynamic yeah. now where. Uh, whereas I think even as, not that long ago in two thousand eight, someone would have been talking about that and would have you know not really had any interest or or know what it is, and now it's really come to the forefront, and so um, that's extremely exciting to hear about. And so then I'm curious. So uh, so you transitioned into Carbon Cycle Institute, and then what was what was your role
0: there? So again, once I. I, I gained an understanding of the carbon cycle and how it relates to everything we were trying to do as, as conservationists. Um, and then it was uh, so the Carbon Cycle Institute was kind of like a startup at that time. They, mm-hmm. they were a spin off of the Marine Carbon Project, looking at, you know, they saw the results of the Marine Carbon Project, applying compost to rangelands, but then started thinking about, okay, uh, compost is a really good way to bring more carbon into, into the mm-hmm. system, more energy into the system. but what else can a rancher do? Mm-hmm. And they started looking at other practices and they started looking at a at a process and by which again a a farmer or a rancher can optimize or I don't want to say maximize, because then you you, you get the, the other trade-offs like biodiversity and water quality and that Sure. Uh, but optimize the, the amount of carbon that they could they could uh, draw down, they could mm-hmm. incorporate into into their solar, into their into the system. And they looked at this idea of creating a carbon farm plant. And uh, they started uh, riding carbon farm plants with with farmers and ranchers mm-hmm. uh, but it was just focused in in marine like kind mm. of started in marine and, and there was maybe a few counties in the Bay Area who were interested. Sure. The question was how do we scale this up mm. And that's where we started thinking about the uh, the resource conservation districts they, mm. these are um, they are uh, all, all over the, the the state of California and and they actually, doing a lot of the, of the conservation work on, on private lands or, or most of it mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean the yeah right I mean I think the just to establish context theres I mean it's a, a resource conservation district the whole goal is there is to is to provide resources for conservation for, to, the, for the for the for the local community that it serves yeah
0: so we thought of them as they they probably the only organization that could scale up this idea mm-hmm. of, of of creating uh, carbon farmers mm-hmm. so we started working with them uh, Giving them the skills, training, and and kind of as they as they would put it, getting them excited mm-hmm. about carbon farming. So we again started doing this outreach, e- engaging more and more resource conservation districts, and now it's really exciting because now they are kind of seen as as the, the the organization that can really scale this up. Not not only carbon farming, but any 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 conservation goal that the state of California. Uh, May have mm-hmm. uh, they are to me they're they're where the rubber meets the road because they're yep. day in and day out engaging with with private landowners, mm-hmm. uh, doing conservation, building partnerships, mm-hmm. uh, paying attention to the to the uh, and to the policy uh, uh, component and and they're they're again they're to me a great organization and, and, and a natural partner yeah. for for the Carbon Cycle Institute yeah
1: and I think it's a I think Carbon Cycle Institute as well. There's, I think there's been there's other organizations who have who have recognized that as well and you know have jumped on it. Yeah, I think the R C the whole R C D dynamic is it's such a, a great way for um, yeah for disseminating information and, and getting getting these initiatives out. The one one thing one thing you had mentioned though I wanted to talk uh, just get a little clarification on was um, you mentioned carbon farm plan. And and I think part of the part of what I want to get to in the conversation with you today is we we talk about these concepts, but then as you mentioned, where the rubber hits the road. But now then, there's actually programs or or systems that are that are being created and set up to actually make things implementable, right? And so because I think we can talk can talk very conceptually about about a lot. Again, I think right holistic management is very conceptual term to use um but it's it's these carbon farm plans that is where you actually get into the you know you get into the dirty details of how you might go about doing these things and so i'm just if you could just you know a, a little a little more on yeah. yeah what's a carbon farm plan
0: so uh, i have to say that so the the process is is taken after a model after the conservation planning process that the natural resources conservation service uh, has been uh using and implementing for, for quite some time. It's the idea of a technical provider working with a, a private landowner, trying to figure out uh, how to improve how to improve their land, how to keep the land uh, productivity, but at the same time taking care of, of any uh, resource issues that, that, that may arise, whether mm-hmm. it's solar ocean or water quality or even low productivity. Mm-hmm. So again, it's this idea of working hand-in-hand with a, the with a private landowner, creating a, a comprehensive plan that addresses that that looks at the land with a holistic mm-hmm. um, approach, mm-hmm. uh, taking care of of everything. Look at the land as a as an ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, with you know all the interdependent and, and connected and connected parts. So, so model after that process is the the carbon frame planning process. And again, the goal is to look at uh, it's a comprehensive look at at a, at a property, mm-hmm. uh, trying to find every single opportunity to increase the the Carbon sequestration. I'm not using that word, but the, the carbon, the, the 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 direction of the arrow, so that yeah. the carbon comes into the system instead of instead of leaving the system through. Because we got we got plenty of carbon leaving, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and this is so the implementation is through practices, and then so at the end of the process, the the landowner gets presented with a list of options of recommendations. These are the practices that you can implement on your land that will achieve achieve that goal. And at the same time, because carbon is energy. All the other conservation c- or resource constraints like like the NRCS uh, talks about them, um, uh, or conservation issues, will will fall into mm. and fall into place. So it's a very, again, a very comprehensive look uh, at a property, uh, looking for for or trying to find every single opportunity for increased uh, increased carbon sure. carbon sequestration. Yeah,
1: and, and having worked on on one myself, yeah, I, I do appreciate it's it's kind it's a kitchen sink approach, right? It's literally anything you could. Possibly do exactly yeah which and I think and I think it's what's a nice thing about it as well is that I think again it 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 create it provides this actual physical document that's implementable and what I what I kind of love too is that it it's been developed through the context of of thinking about carbon and so it's kind of like this list of you know you don't I'm thinking I'm like I'm a farmer or the ranchers like I don't really need to understand how exactly these processes are, are working, but I just know that, I mean, I just need to follow this list and I, I'm doing better, yep. which I think is really, which I, right, I part of this, yeah, this, this disconnect, I mean, it's, as we, as we sort of are kind of touching on and we'll continue just to discuss sort of this conservation slash agricultural producer, rancher dynamic, um, we're not independent of one another, we, we, we need each other but the, the farmer, the rancher is not necessarily uh, creating a better habitat for birds is not, is not, that's not the priority. But, um, but that, but the great part is that the, the conservation entity can come in and basically just say, Hey, you're, you're doing this this way already. Just, just, just tweak it a exactly. little bit and you know, it's not going to cost you anymore. Uh, and that's all you need to do and like we're going to be so excited because things are going to get better
0: <laughs> we used to talk about it as a as a, a carbon lens it's looking looking at land with a, with a carbon with mm-hmm. a carbon lens what i found really extremely powerful about the carbon farm planning process and and to me a successful carbon farm plan is the one that creates a carbon farmer mm-hmm. and what i mean by a carbon farmer is is a, a farmer or a rancher landowner who who looks at their land with that carbon lens mm-hmm. when when that happens and again to me it's not the creating a perfect plan with pretty maps and all these practices is if you may, if you're able through that conversation with the landowner to engage them mm-hmm. in their own carbon cycle
1: mm-hmm.
0: on their own land mm-hmm. that's where where the process is is really mm-hmm. powerful i i've seen some aha moments mm-hmm. uh for for some landowners that that are that are really really transformational and say, oh, okay, yeah. now I get it. Yeah. And it, actually, when they get it, it's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's a it's the flow of energy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's that's what I find fi- find really really powerful about the, the carbon footprint process. And actually, all of us, you know, as as consumers, as mm-hmm. as citizens, if we we were to understand our own carbon cycle, mm-hmm. because we're all part of it, right? Sure. As, yeah. as living things. Then I think the the our, our, our fight or, or our, our uh, ideas about climate change mm-hmm. could could be could could change if mm-hmm. if each one of us would take over their own. Yeah. And what are what are my emissions? What are, how am I contributing to? For, for instance, through my purchases, mm-hmm. through my uh, the way you know when I travel, mm-hmm. yep. through my food uh, consumption, yep. everything. If we were aware. And we can measure our, our own impact. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that this by little by adjusting. What if we all reduce our own carbon cycle or carbon emissions by six percent individually, as individuals? What what will that do?
1: Yeah. Quite, at, at, well, it compounds, right? And yeah, that's that's a very exciting way to look at it. Well, so then let's now shift a little bit. So you've really you've kind of bought into to this world, the you know the, of of, of, you know, working to improve the environment and, um, you start, so now you transition into your current role today, which is, um, as director of the, con- of the director of the Audubon conservation ranching initiative. And so tell me about that transition. And, you know, it, it seems like, it seems like a very obvious transition yep. to, from what you are doing.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so what, I guess what attracted me to this program is, is the idea of of incentives. Again I was mm-hmm. always thinking about this idea of of sustainability. What does it mean from the point of view of how do we keep ranchers ranching? That that's been my I, I guess I have I can say I have devoted my my conservation part of my career to, mm-hmm. to this idea of, of ranching as a conservation strategy. So how can we keep ranchers ranching just doing good good things mm-hmm. for, for the environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've been, I think we've done a really, really good job, particularly here in California, at acknowledging and recognizing the role that, that ranchers play in, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in our, the conservation of our natural resources. And, and I think they, hopefully, they feel better about you know, the, the conservation uh, community awareness of, of that role. Mm-hmm. But, but we're still, and we, can, we used to give them a pat on the back. We have the Aldo Leopold Awards and we, mm-hmm. we give them the recognition but that's not enough. Mm-hmm. What again? What attracted me of this program is the idea of incentives. Okay, so how can how can a rancher actually capitalize on that role mm-hmm. as a as a uh, a, a resource or, or or as a as a manager of, of an ecosystem or, mm-hmm. or or natural resources? So, and this idea and also all this work, you know, the in conservation is usually funded through public public programs, sure. right? But how, the consumer doesn't have very many options mm-hmm. to say, "Okay, I want to support that role of of, of those ranches that want to be good stewards of the land." How can I? How can the general public support that? Mm-hmm. And that's what the, this program brings. We give technical assistance to, to to ranchers, which is something that other organizations do: the Resource Conservation Districts, the NRCS, Carbon Cycle Institute, a lot of Point Blue, mm-hmm. a lot of folks in, in here in the Central Valley are giving uh, assistance to to ranchers. I think what's innovative about this program is that it gives the consumer the the option to actually support that mm. and connect or leverage those public funds with with private markets with the consumer a wish or, or a desire to support sustainability regenerative whatever uh, bird habitat whatever mm-hmm. conservation outcome they're interested in. And that's what what attracts them like, okay how do we how can we actually how can they actually capitalize on on their stewardship
1: sure yeah and i think and that's what i remember reading about the the initiative several years ago as well and um thought to myself immediately uh you know hallelujah someone's trying to um, not just pat ranchers on the back and like you said say a good job but um actually yeah put not necessarily put put money where the you know where the mouth is because yeah i mean the fact is we live in America and this is, this is a capitalist society. Um, and you know and we met, we already mentioned you know nothing here is happening in a vacuum. And so I, what I appreciated uh, a lot was this very pragmatic, realistic approach uh, and, and a market-based approach to, to conservation. So the one thing, and so again, so sort of an overarching theme that I'm trying to convey is, this uh this aspect and you touched you started to get into it a little bit but it's that uh so first and foremost backtracking just slightly is that we live in an altered landscape right we've we've laser leveled the the bottom of the valley for agriculture Uh, we've we ripped up the foothills through the gold rush we we build houses we divert streams and rivers again nothing happens in a vacuum and, and you know this is this place is is different and uh, except for our our most pristine national parks and uh forests i mean you know which are indic you know which are going to be indicative of of what uh, a ecosystem you know originally looked like th- those are few and far between i mean this is it's just a reality that is a part of of where we live here and where many many other individuals live and with that comes, I, I, is there, I there's this challenge. I, I think in trying to talk to to folks who aren't in who aren't, aren't working in this world, uh, about it's it's that's a that's a major perspective shift on, on ideas of like natural lands and then what conservation looks like. Um, but really, what what it really comes down to is it's just it's a it's a realistic, pragmatic approach. Again, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna sound so repetitive, but I mean nothing's happening in a vacuum, and we just we simply can't go and get millions of dollars, buy a bunch of land, and just say and just leave it as it is and say we're good. Because I mean maybe very locally on that property we can create some little micro climates, but the water, the fire, the the carbon is around it is all completely altered. So what? the conservation ranching initiative i mean and carbon farming does though is it 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 takes these it 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 takes the tools that we have these ones that uh you know seemingly maybe don't seem like obvious tools to to improve habitat and and it puts them in a context in which in which they are and so i was i would appreciate if you could maybe speak a little bit more to again here we have audubon society who's, it's birds, birds, and birds, it's, it's bird conservation, who have, you know, 100% leaned into this, uh, this dynamic between ranching and, and bird conservation, specifically grassland birds, which are some of the most at-risk species within our nation. And so, um, can you speak a little bit more to maybe give some examples or just speak broadly about, yeah, how, where does ranching and, and birds come together?
0: So Arban is was one of the, the pioneers of this idea of, of working, uh, I guess that now we call, him, call them working landscapes, of working with farmers and ranchers, realizing that with everything that you mentioned that we did to the Central Valley, all the, all the, mm-hmm. the uh, anthropogenic impacts that, that we have, all the, the human impacts. Sorry,
1: for We messed that. it up.
0: Come <laughs> on. <laughs> we didn't mess it up yet. Yeah, we're still a hot spot for biodiversity, right? Which which tells us a couple of things. One, that our that our wildlife uh, are, are are very resilient, mm-hmm. and the other one is that some of the activities uh, like farming and ranching are not so detrimental to to for instance biodiversity, mm-hmm. and so that gives us a kind of a, a, a hope. Mm-hmm. let say, okay, if they're still hanging on. To these lands. Maybe there's a way to improve habitat on those on those lands where there still are. They're still hanging mm-hmm. in there. The Central Valley is, is one of the best wintering habitats for raptors in, mm-hmm. in the entire United States. With everything, again, all the... All, the, all, uh, all things considered. All, yeah. all things considered. So so again, that kind of... Um, I was going to say that Audubon, back in the early 2000s, uh, Realize that that a lot of the habitat is still a lot of those birds are still on, on farms and, and ranches. And they actually purchased Bobcat Ranch mm-hmm. uh, where I where I live in, in Yolo County mm-hmm. to show that that you can actually have a working cattle ranch and a bird sanctuary on on the same piece of land. Those two activities or goals are not not incompatible. Mm-hmm. And they put uh, Bobcat well, they certainly Ranch. certainly seemed like it, right? Well, exactly. Like and it. that yeah. time, where, where that 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 idea was not all that all that popular, right? The idea would have been, you buy Bobcat Ranch, you fence it off, and you kick everybody out, and that we call that conservation. We mm-hmm. realized that that is not a valid conservation strategy because you still have to manage the land. Mm-hmm. And if the the ranchers can be the ones are the ones managing the land, well, then why don't we just keep them on mm-hmm. the land? Give them the incentives to do or achieve our conservation objectives, and that's a very, to me, that's again a very valid, valid conservation strategy. Economically, it, it probably better than this idea of that, like, it's called fortress conservation. Again, we just buy the land, fence it mm. off.
1: You said fortress conservation. <laughs> fortress conservation, yeah, where you, yeah. you
0: you kick everybody out. Interesting. So, so again, that kind of started changing the the paradigm of look or, uh, of the conservation community looking at. Farming and ranching in, in in a different like as as an opportunity
1: mm-hmm. to
0: achieve more conservation, not not as a threat.
1: Gotcha, and so I think and so to get to just get a little more microscopic into that. So what does bird friendly ranching look like, and what does non bird friendly ranching look like? What what's it? What is a um, a pasture a rangeland uh, that has not been appropriately grazed look like?
0: So we work this with this idea of of uh, birds as indicators of rangeland health. Mm-hmm. So because birds can fly, they can actually pick the places <laughs> sure. where where they want to live, right? So if you're if you have a healthy rangeland if, if a rangeland, if you have a healthy ranch, mm-hmm. you're going to see birds. Mm-hmm. And in fact, ranchers love to see birds by mm-hmm. the, by the way. So the soil is covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a diversity of species on, on above ground and, and below ground. There is shrubs, there is trees, mm-hmm. there is water flowing. Again, a healthy rangeland is is good habitat for birds. Uh, in terms of their bird diversity, mm-hmm. what this program is trying to to help incentivize is this idea of through the management, through their mostly the, the grazing, but it could be fire or, or other other tools as well, is creating a, a mosaic of of habitat, so the ranch doesn't look the same, uh, you know. Yeah, we throughout don't
1: have monoculture, nothing, nothing in so nature it, is, is ordered, right? It's, exactly, it's chaos. Yeah,
0: so you have these this, this patches of, of habitat that allow for some bird species like low vegetation. Some bird species uh, need uh, higher vegetation. So this idea, again, through the grazing, through the management, creating habitats or patches of, of habitat that allow for, for that bird diversity. Mm. But I have to say that the most important part, I think, of, of this of this program is to keep ranchers ranching. Mm-hmm. As long as the ranchers, we know that the habitat could be uh, better or worse, but at least it's still bird habitat. It has the potential to become better bird habitat. When we convert those ranches, are mm-hmm. converted to other uses, we know that the habitat, and we know that the carbon also mm-hmm. also uh, suffers, right? If you get mm-hmm. you get lower. So, so again, it's the idea of keeping ranchers ranching, it's like help them stay in business stay mm-hmm. stay ranching through you know uh, selling your product as, as audubon certified uh, yeah. having that recognition from the conservation community that, that you know they're doing a they're doing a good job just just making them feel good about being ranchers sure that's yeah. the first part so keeping them as ranchers now and then trying to improve the management through again incentives mm-hmm. So the habitat becomes better. It's not just protecting it, but also enhancing it.
1: Got it. Yeah. I can just say just for uh, not to say, well, so through previous work, um, not, not on, on an Audubon certified property, but you know, implementing similar management activities and in, in sort of a, you know, the mindset behind it, I can just say, you know, sort of the proof in the pudding, having done a prescribed burn out at, out at Deer Creek Hills, a couple of years ago is really interesting to, um, we had, had conducted a prescribed burn on a portion. And one of our one of the uh, the birding volunteers had noted within the burn scar the most horned larks, mountain bluebirds, and uh, American thrushes. Apologies, there's no such thing as an American thrush. I meant to say pipit. That she had ever seen in over 15 years of birding on that property. Um, So right, just, yeah, I think, yeah, I I love that it's, again, nothing, nothing's in a vacuum. We're in this altered landscape, but when we can, I think that's an example of, right, where we can, it's a managed uh, natural process that it just, it can't happen naturally on its own. So we, we acknowledge we have to do these things. We have to take these things upon ourselves, which is a part of that program. Um, But so, so cool to see it then. You know within just a year of doing something to see an immediate response which i think also it you know, adds to that um that uh, that resilience and adaptability of of wildlife and specifically birds like, yeah. like you'd already mentioned
0: I, and i think what i uh, the, the paradigm has changed right from that early 2000s where, where people were skeptical or, or um hostile mm-hmm. almost to, to to grazing and, and ranching to now knowing that again that's we're still when we still have ranches we we thought we get a lot of ecosystem services mm-hmm. from them and also the understanding that we need to manage if we want to get all those ecosystem services from the land we need to manage the land mm-hmm. we can not just let it just you know fence it off and yeah. call that call that conservation and I think the key word here is disturbance mm. yeah
1: Perfect. this
0: idea that the traditional a conservation or the traditional conservation strategies were were based on, on not distrust, keeping the land, undisturbed. You, you, you still mm-hmm. see that, and these rangelands actually need disturbance. It's mm-hmm. through fire, through mm-hmm. grazing, through, through the through management, uh, restoration, plantings. Mm-hmm. Um, they they thrive in you know, they're, they're more diverse. They're, they're healthier when when they are disturbed. The idea is, you know, when you're you're, you're managing, you're managing land. The idea is, what is the right Level or mm-hmm. the intensity of disturbance, right? mm-hmm. and what are the tools to achieve that—that—that that, that good, you know, sweet spot of, of disturbance that is not detrimental, that is actually enhancing the uh, the, the ecosystem that you're sure. trying to manage. And I think again that not most people understand that we need we need that management and and, and, and getting the objectives, the conservation objectives that we want mm-hmm. through the tools that, that we have. Mm-hmm.
1: Then I think so it's important to note then, so as we'd kind of already spoken about carbon farm plans, I think right, right at one big part of the, the Audubon certification is much in the same as there's, it comes along with with the management plan, which is ultimately what, you know, yeah, what this kind of work yeah. comes down to. So, is, yeah, so is it, is it, so is it sort of a similarly... Modeled um, management plan, but a little more bird-focused is my assumption. Yeah,
0: so instead of a carbon lens, you have a bird lens. Mm-hmm. Again, this idea of, of birds as indicator indicators of rangeland health. Mm-hmm. If the rangeland is healthy, the the birds will will be there. Sure. Right. the The process is, is similar or, or almost identical mm-hmm. to a carbon farm plant, but the strategy is different. Uh, we don't try to like from the get go. We don't try to identify every single practice that, that the rancher could do to improve bird habitat mm-hmm. but we we think of of the plan the habitat management plan as a platform mm-hmm. and and so kind of like the, the agreement between us and the and the landowner of what are the, the, the minimum standards that we need to, from which we build on mm-hmm. and start recommending practices but over time, Improving that habitat instead of again trying to identify all the practices early on is like over time, you know um, Working through again, how can we improve the habitat particularly because uh, a lot of the constraints come are financial It's like yeah, sure. I would love to do that I would love to not graze that that pasture this much this year, but the, the economics don't don't pan out mm-hmm. I would love to fence that riparian area but, but they don't have the resources to, to do it, or the or the technical uh, expertise or or or, or advice. Got so it. again, so over time we we create again that platform through a habitat management plan, and and have them think about bird habitat as again, if you think about it, we're all <laughs> we're all trying to do the same as uh, in rains, It's just sure. right to create a healthy a healthy rainland, whether the lens is carbon or water mm-hmm. or habitat or biodiversity. Uh, the practices end up being being all, always the same. They sure. just have it's,
1: it's just a lens, exactly. Right. So so it's a lens. It's a yeah. different
0: lens. What's different uh, from be- the difference between the carbon lens and the bird lens is that ranchers see seabirds.
1: <laughs> well, I think that, um, and that's why I love that Audubon went ahead and does because there's birds everywhere right? Even there's, we're in downtown Sacramento, they're not the most exciting birds, but there's birds out there.
0: Exactly. So they see them, they hear them, and most importantly, they love them. Mm-hmm. So it's very, and, and it was almost, I shouldn't have been shocked. We knew this, but but it is uh, interesting how much uh, ranchers love birds and, mm-hmm. and, and wildlife in, in general. The reason is because they're the, the first ones who enjoy it. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason for them to being a rancher mm-hmm. is because they enjoy that, that lifestyle and, and that component of of wildlife being being close to nature. Again, that's their conservation ethics that connect, should connect with the other ideas sure. of, of what a conservation ethic is. And that's why these alliances between ranchers and conservationists mm-hmm. are not hard; they're natural, mm-hmm. and they're not they're not difficult to forge. <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just gotta. You just got to put it in the right, exactly. in the right words. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, so, and I think the one other interesting part and the one that I wanted to touch briefly on with the Audubon certification too, is that there's what I appreciate that there's, um, there's an animal husbandry um, component to it as well. So um, we're talking all about birds, but well, I mean, let's just be honest, we wouldn't be excited about someone ranching for birds if they were treating their animals poorly. So, right. So there is a component um, within there as well.
0: Yeah, there's an, a uh, we have three protocols: uh, animal health and welfare, uh, habitat management, and environmental sustainability. The idea is that yes, the the focus, the main focus is is bear habitat, mm-hmm. but the ranch needs to be managed with with conservation in mind. Overall, mm-hmm. that's this idea of, of holistic uh, conservation. So, take care of your riparian area, minimize the use of, of pesticides, fertilizers, herbicides. Uh, again, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good for the program is, and is not what what we're after, is is having great bird habitat and a, and a destroyed riparian area because mm-hmm. that, again, that's a missed opportunity. That riparian area could be habitat as well. Sure. So again, the the focus is bird habitat, mm-hmm. but the the other protocols um, ensure that, that the ranch is managed with with over you know overarching conservation goals in mind.
1: Yeah, um, and importantly as well as um, just sound business and um, again. Uh, Animal well-being as well, Being, I, I, yeah. uh, holistic in a different sense, but yeah. but the same as well.
0: So healthy soils, healthy plants, healthy animals, and Health. happy, animals. Ha- healthy, happy, happy
1: animals, healthy happy right? animals, healthy happy
0: animals, and, and healthy people. Yeah,
1: that's great. And so then, I, uh, if we could, so real briefly, uh, the so the Audubon Ranching Initiative in California is it's still pretty new, um, right? I, can give me give me give me a shot in time right now where 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 are we how many how many just really broad numbers who how many people are interested how many acres how are things going
0: so things are going well we have so the program was brought to california in 2019 Mm -hmm. was established in the midwest in 2016 this is kind of different right usually these things come from (laughs) come from california (laughs) yeah and then they expand this this program was again started in the in the midwest uh thinking about grassland birds and and came to california in in 2019 um and so we right now have 25 certified uh, ranchers in, mm-hmm. the, in the conservation ranching program they're grazing on approximately 375,000 acres mm-hmm. what's interesting here that's, that's different than other states is the and we knew this the how um how much ranchers in california rely on on leases and grazing leases right we have a very short uh, foraging season here in california sure. and if you want to be grass-fed you need access to more land than than, than your home ranch yeah. so a lot of our ranchers have their their own home ranch mm-hmm. but they're also grazing on other properties that either public or, or private so they're, they're relying on, on leases uh, the interest is is great we have more ranchers interested in joining the program mm-hmm. that we can certify which is a good problem, to, a good have. problem to have. Yep. And and that's we're relying on on partnerships and just using the same model that we use or that the Carbon Cycle Institute is, is using is relying on on local partnerships with uh, particularly resource conservation districts, but other conservation organizations like Point Blue Conservation Science and anyone who is interested in in conservation. The idea is to create a network of support locally mm-hmm. for the ranchers who are in our program. So they Great. can they, they feel supported by by others as well. And strengthening their their partnerships is, is part of what we do.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Inherently, it's kind of a grassroots effort, and so it's I like the idea of keeping it. Yeah. Keep getting the the local support and excitement behind it. And then I'm just curious. So if uh, I want to buy bird friendly certified beef, how how has it gotten getting into markets?
0: So the a lot of the ranches we work with already have their own own uh, marketing channels. Mm-hmm. Our website has uh, all the links to the the places where you can. I believe there's more than sixty between butcher shops and, and retail spaces where you can you can buy the beef. You may or may not see the the Audubon seal mm. on mm. on the product again because some of the a lot of the ranchers are already using their their channels and and they they use the the Audubon seal on their website or 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 uh, on their ranch and their properties other than 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 the seal but uh, so the, the best thing to do is go on our website mm-hmm. um and then look for those places where you can you can actually buy the, the the certified product which i have to say it's the certification we our program certifies the land so the mm-hmm. product has been what the seal says is this product has been graced on ottoman uh bird friendly land land yeah
1: and i would imagine this is a, a whole separate conversation to 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 be had around food processing and you know marketing. So I, I can imagine there there's certainly some struggles and challenges in, in it, just addressing that whole other side of, of this thing.
0: So that is actually, I'm glad you bring, bring up that point because um, 10, 15 years ago, I think we were in the conservation um, world where the, those of us who work with private landowners. owners, they, mm-hmm. The willingness of the landowner, right, used to be the limiting factor. Mm. In other words, you know, the uh, Ottawa launches this this program in California, and they don't know if ranchers are going to be interested. Sure. And now I think we're we're at a point where the willingness of the landowner is no longer the limit to what we can achieve in in, in terms of conservation. Mm-hmm. The, particularly, I, I can I can speak for, for for at least the ranching community that I know. The mm-hmm. ranchers are there. They're 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 ready. They they love it. They're interested. They're doing it. Mm-hmm. So, th- what's limiting, uh, and it's actually limiting our program as well, is the is the way the supply chain is built, because it's yeah. built is not built with with this idea of of conservation of that added value that conservation brings. It's built for efficiencies and economies of scale and, and and things like that. So, actually, we are trying to to figure out how can we build a supply chain or rebuild a supply chain that actually. Acknowledges that mm. conservation value that the animals that come from our program uh, have. One example: most of the ranchers in California are are cow calf operators. Mm-hmm. For them, there's really no real incentive. They're not selling uh, beef. They're not selling animal. They're selling animals. They're not selling beef to markets. Mm. So um, the idea is: how can we find? how can we find an incentive for them for all those calf operators to join the program they still are interested sure. and they would like to join the program there's no real market incentive sure. for them for them to do so so we need to build a supply chain that actually recognizes that that those calves have that added value yeah. we have that added value for the beef right the sure. finalized product yeah. but how can we carry that value through the through the supply chain so we have certified um you know calves that come from certified land all the way through, a piece of meat or steak or sure. ground yeah. beef that is that is Audubon certified. That is actually the probably the, the most important challenge. Mm-hmm. The other challenge, if I if I may yeah. mention, is yeah. the the access to, to more grazing land. If we mm-hmm. wanna kind of promote this idea of grass fed or, or, or you know, put more animals on on grass, where is that grass gonna gonna come from? Where which that going to come from?
1: Which in our area, um, you know, to, to, to speak specifically, right? You drive along Highway 50, and all the develop, all the grassland, all the grass that's being developed, um, there is a challenge there. But yep. it's a, another conversation for another podcast, but uh, for another episode. But there's there's a lot of other things going on there as well. And um, again, having being a having been a land trust employee and um, there's a there's a there's certainly partnerships to be had there, yeah. which um, it's it's good to know you're not out there by yourself because there's a heck of a lot that Audubon's trying to do with this um, with this program. It's it's very exciting and I, to just uh, backtrack one bit, I, I've I've certainly heard of other instances of throughout the state where you know trying to folks trying to come to food uh, production system solutions, you know workarounds. So that you don't have to participate in the mass system because you're trying to meet these, you know, these these goals and have these values of well-raised meat. Um, that, that it, there's definitely. I feel like there's a moment right now where there's a lot of energy um, behind that nationwide.
0: Yeah, and then then you again, <laughs> nothing happens in a vacuum. Yeah. Then you bump into issues of equity, right? Because sure. again, the, the the food system that we have is very efficient mm-hmm. and it has lowered the cost of food for, for everybody, right, for a lot of people. It's now when we're trying to talk about, you know, say people paying more, paying a premium because uh, this this product has added, added the conservation added value, uh, then you run into issues of, of equities like, well, not everybody can can afford to pay to pay more. But, with, but one of the ways of, to think about it is maybe at the same price point, mm-hmm. if someone, is interested in supporting bird habitat and has you know a a product or or an option at the grocery store where they have Mm -hmm. an audubon certified product versus a non-certified product Mm -hmm. at the same price point sure we're hoping that they pick that one because they know they have a a habitat or they can they can support bird habitat and the conservation values they care about through that through that option through that purchase
1: yeah very cool very very fun very interesting um and so, I guess uh, the to maybe cap the conversation on on just on the Audubon side, um, I'm just you said you there's more there's more demand than can be met. So I'm just curious, what what does it look like for in the next five years? Is it is it just getting the word out and growing capacity, or, or is there?
0: Yeah, and the, again, our strategy for for growing capacity relies a lot on on, on partnerships. It's not mm-hmm. not reinventing the wheel. Um, the, I think the this kind of programs are only, they always have to be a public-private partnership. We can, mm-hmm. I don't think you can build a program based only on, on, a, on a market, on the consumer's side of things, or on the public side of things like, you know, funding from the Natural Resources Conservation Service, which is essential mm-hmm. to to, to, uh, to private landowners. So uh, this idea of what, what's the, the sweet spot, what is the right amount of public funding that we can leverage with private funding mm-hmm. and make the, the program, uh, sustainable. Yeah. Well, uh, and,
1: I, and I think that's interesting because, um, as you just mentioned, I mean, you know, the, the Natural Resource uh, Conservation Service, you know, there they're, they're, they're already has long been the the public and private uh, partnership in, in agriculture, yeah. right, in that context. Um, I think what, what yeah, what you're really getting at is it's just, it's an evolution of, of the existing system yeah. through these different lenses that we've, we've discussed.
0: Uh, but again, we're, I think we're always going to, going to, have, it's not only the funding; it's the infrastructure. You know, we mm-hmm. mentioned the resource conservation districts, but part of the reason why they're so successful is because they have a really strong partnership with the with the NRCS, mm-hmm. and that brings the the funding and, and some of the technical assistance uh, and the training training as well. I don't think we are. I don't think you can build a certification program like like the one Audubon has mm-hmm. on, on either or. It cannot be funded on public money only, and it cannot be funded on 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 private funding only. It has to be a, a public-private partnership. The public, uh, public contribution is, again, we are, all these ranches are are, are producing ecosystem services that we all uh, benefit from. Mm-hmm. That, And then the, the private side is the, you know, folks who are interested in supporting that particular bird habitat. It's like, okay, then I want to add some more yeah. to, you know, with my with my purchasing power. It's a, that's, again, what, what fascinated me about this program is that that is not, it's not clear cut. We're still we're still yeah. figuring out yeah. <laughs> how do yeah. we how do we keep it going. Now, that was a really good great question. Um, I don't think uh, we can grow forever. There has to be a size. Trying uh, to figure out what's the, the r- real actual size of the program in which we can still um, create meaningful relationships for the for the ranchers and, and 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 support them uh, in a meaningful way instead mm-hmm. of just adding adding ranches and sure. adding acres.
1: Uh, uh, quality over quality. Yes, quality over right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, really great. So, uh, is there uh, is there anything else you want to add to that?
0: No, the, only again that we're gonna need we're gonna need a lot of. Um, I think again that the change in awareness mm-hmm. has made this 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 program possible, mm-hmm. but I think we still. I think I guess the after again we we're leaving kind of the pilot phase of this program. Now that we have shown that the ranchers are interested, now the question is: Are the consumers interested? Mm. And are is the are is the state interested in 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 this program again? So we can create that strong public-private sure. partnership. Sure. Um, so that that to me, we need to continue raising awareness of again ranching as a as a conservation strategy yeah. is is a good one. Can we convince enough? Californians that can support again public programs that mm-hmm. they can fund the program, and at the same time through their purchasing power or or uh, or their support to, yeah. to ranchers to continue uh, supporting this program.
1: Sure. Well, and I think to, then to cap that, I can just say you know right the the point of this this podcast is to have these kinds of conversations to try and get this. I I know I mean I don't need any uh, convincing on, on buying bird certified beef because I've I've already bought in. It's um it's trying to have these conversations and right. If I think if we can catch the attention of just a a few people, right. And, and have it grow from there. Um, I will have considered this at least a success. Um, so to wrap it out then, I want to hit you with a quick, uh, lightning question, lightning round. These are supposed to be fun. Okay. Okay. So quick and short gut reaction. All right. So what's your favorite bird and why burrowing owls? Great choice. And because? Because they're cute and they need grazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite answer so far. (laughs) Um, What's your favorite reptile slash amphibian and why?
0: Reptile, the bearded dragon, because I I have one on my... (laughs) Perfect. My kids take care of one.
1: That's great. Uh, And what's your favorite mammal and why? Favorite mammal. And that can be uh, it. Could be uh, native or domesticated.
0: I like bears.
1: Okay. Yeah. And give me give me one sentence I would, why.
0: Because I would love to be able to hug a bear. I okay. think that would feel really really <laughs> comforting.
1: Yeah, depends on the context. <laughs> so then, what's your favorite? I'm going to say just what's your favorite? Uh, your flower, plant, shrub, or tree.
0: I like California fuchsias.
1: Great choice. I like California Fuchsias as well. Um, where is your favorite underappreciated open space/slash preserve and why? So, I, in a, a place that uh, people, that uh, an underappreciated preserve that, that most people probably don't know about, but they should.
0: Well, but if I tell you, then I, people are going to flock. I know that's, to that's the place. I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to flock
1: but uh, all right yeah I, well, and you can you, you can say that's you know you can keep your you, give me your number two if you don't want to give me your number one
0: okay I'll, I'll give so obviously Bobcat Ranch. sure owned by Audubon and County. not only because it's a it's a beautiful property but but because of what it represents is mm-hmm. again this merging of of ranching and and conservation um, sure. The other one I want to tell me tell you which one is first and which one is second but okay. I really, I love Rush Ranch in in Solano oh, County. Sure. Yeah. Managed by the by the Solano Land Trust. That uh, it's a place that has a almost like a spiritual feel mm-hmm. to it. The uplands and the water and the mm-hmm. the marsh and all that. There's something something there that when I go there, uh, I, I feel I feel uh, at peace That's for awesome. some reason. That's great.
1: Yeah, I think there's something to be said, uh, again, you're right, this is in the context of, of people who live in the Central Valley and I'd say we are definitely a, a landscape of some of some extremes, but with those extremes come pretty unique uh I wouldn't say uh, the the landscapes have their mom our, our landscape has its moments where they are just really right whether it's a springtime, you know, springtime yeah. is obvious, but even, you know, even in a on a scorching summer evening, there's there you know, it's just it there's just something there. Yeah.
0: So. Just you know, wrapping it up, we're living in a in a messy, <laughs> but but beautiful place. Yeah,
1: so yeah, absolutely. And then, so my last one, and this will be, I think, is a great one. That I like capping out, capping it off, uh, at the episodes off with is where do you find hope, in the in the context of what we've talked about,
0: in the the younger generations. Mm-hmm. I'm really amazed. I think they they got it. I think they understand the the how complex this world is, mm-hmm. and how complex that the solutions to the complex problems that we have are going to be, and they I think they they have embraced that uh, they have embraced diversity, they have embraced uh, other other points of view, uh, mm-hmm. acceptance, inclusivity. That's I think what's what's going to get us there. I'm, I'm truly truly hopeful that, that the new generations, even if you see in the the ranching community, the the younger folks coming with. a lot of good ideas a lot of of energy enthusiasm and excitement Mm -hmm. uh the women are driving the innovation uh it's really it's really fascinating i i I have great hope in the in the younger generations i think they're they they have great challenges in front of them but but i think they are they are prepared
1: great well with that i will say this is the end of our uh this is the third one so we're all, we're all done. And, um, you know, again, thank you so much, Palau, for your time. And uh, it's been a lovely conversation. And, you know, we'll see how this thing goes. And maybe we come back and we'll circle back again. Talk I, about something else fun.
0: I truly appreciate the opportunity to talk about the, the things that I that I care the most about. Thank awesome.
1: you. Thanks, Palau.
0: Hey, guys, this is Marshall.
1: I appreciate you sticking with me to the end and hope that this episode, along with others to follow, may serve as a conversation starter. If you liked what you heard here and would like to hear more, it would mean the world if you could leave a positive review. This helps get the word out and brings more people into the conversation. Thanks and hope to see you at the next episode.